car and driver found that compared to a baseline of attentive driving, drunk drivers traveling at 70 miles per hour or 103 feet per second took eight feet longer to react to danger and begin braking their vehicle. By contrast, test results showed that texting drivers took 40 feet longer to react and begin braking. Importantly, the texting drivers reacted five times slower than the drunk drivers. That's one small step for man. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. We choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they are I have a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Thank you for tuning in today's Super You Podcast. I am your host, Eric Quillman. A lot of you know me as Equal Man. Today's a special show, so if you have a teenage daughter or son, or perhaps it's a spouse that's not a teenager, that loves to text while they drive, you're going to want to forward them today's show, because we're going to talk all about why texting while driving is more dangerous than drinking while driving. We're going to cover some other fo- stuff as well. We're reading from my new book, The Focus Project, so this is just a free clip of the audio version. We'll go about 10 to 20 minutes today, and I hope you enjoy it, but thank you so much for tuning in. It's all made possible by Amazon Prime. Obviously on Amazon, if you'd like listening to this, you can go and get the full uninterrupted version of the Audible version of the the Focus Project, or you can get the paperback or the Kindle. Anyways, just want to say thank you for all the support. We love you. I hope that you are doing well. So without further ado, here's the latest snippet from my book, The Focus Project, the not so simple art of doing less. Texting while driving is more dangerous than drinking while driving. Information about texting while driving exposes the dark side of multitasking. If you have been imploring your teenager, husband, or wife to avoid texting or tweeting when they're behind the wheel, but they haven't changed their habits, please show them these sobering results from a test conducted by Car and Driver magazine in which two drivers' reaction times were observed. Specifically, Car and Driver found that compared to a baseline of attentive driving, drunk drivers traveling at 70 miles per hour or 103 feet per second took eight feet longer to react to danger and begin braking their vehicle. By contrast, test results showed that texting drivers took 40 feet longer to react and begin braking. Importantly, the texting drivers reacted five times slower than the drunk drivers. Multitasking can crash your car, your business, your health, your life. Ford's focus. During Alan Mulally's tenure at Ford, I was fortunate to share the speaking stage with him. I was transfixed by his story. Coming to Ford from Boeing, Mulally found several issues within the company culture surprising. One surprise occurred when he pulled into the executive parking lot. Not a single Ford was in sight. Land Rovers, Jaguars, and Aston Martin brands Ford had acquired over the years were being washed, waxed, and buffed. Right there, Mulally knew change was coming. Ford had zero chance of turning around its brand if the executives were focusing on numerous luxury brands, cars that the average person couldn't afford. Moreover, the number of brands under Ford was causing confusion in the marketplace. As Mulally states, nobody buys a house of brands. Thereafter, the teams concentrated on shining and buffing the Ford brand. Deciding what not to do 
is just as important as deciding what to do. This central idea is what focusing is all about. As mentioned earlier in the book, your not-to-do list, your not-yet-list, determines your to-do list. Mullally focused over 200,000 employees around the globe on growing the Ford brand. The concept was called One Ford. The One Ford innovation plan was as simple as one, two, three. One, bring all Ford employees together as a global team. Two, leverage Ford's unique automotive knowledge and assets. Three, build cars and trucks that people want and value. To remind everyone at the company of the One Ford strategy, Mullally had credit card-sized plastic plates distributed to all employees. One side read, One Ford, while the other side read, One Team, One Plan, One Goal. Mullally carried spares of these One Ford cards in his pockets in case employees couldn't produce theirs when prompted. Despite living in a digital era, we still find physical items to be effective, helpful reminders. Recall the red paperclips from the earlier chapter in this book. Mullally believed that the more each of us knows what we're really contributing to, the more motivated, excited, and inspired we are. Training practice. As explained throughout this project, a key to focusing is to inhibit whatever causes us not to focus, both internally and externally. Neuroscientists administer a popular test called the Stroop test, involving a series of the words for various colors. These words are printed either in the color gray or black. Volunteers are asked to read aloud the color of the word, gray or black, not the word itself. It's much easier for our brain to read a word than to identify a color. Hence, in the example listed below, our brains have a strong desire to read answer D as gray, the text of the word, versus the actual color itself of the word, which is obviously black. Not to read answer D as gray requires us to suppress an automatic response. Advances in technology have allowed scientists to use sophisticated scanners to determine that our brains are actively working to override our natural responses. This activity occurs the most in the left ventrolateral prefrontal cortex, the VLPFC, sitting behind the right and left temple. In a sense, we simply can't help ourselves from saying that it's the color gray, even though we can clearly see the gray is black. David Rock, author of Your Brain at Work, discusses the brain in the way that one would a car. Using this metaphor, Rock explains that the brain has many different accelerators, gas pedals, with different parts of the brain involved in language, emotions, movement, and memories. Yet, there's only one central braking system used for all types of braking, Hence, our brain has many gas pedals, but only one brake. If you were a car company and were building a new type of on-road vehicle, you would make sure the braking system was made out of the most robust materials possible because brake failure is not a happy thing. Well, in the case of human brains, the opposite has happened. Our braking system is part of the most fragile, temperamental, and energy-hungry region of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. Because of this, your braking system only works at its best every now and then. If cars were built like this, you'd never survive your first drive down to the store. All this makes sense when you consider it. Stopping yourself from acting on an urge is something you can do sometimes, but is often not that easy. Not thinking about an annoying, intrusive thought at times can be very difficult. And staying focused, well, sometimes that appears downright impossible. 
Taking Rock's analogy one step further, the key to breaking properly is understanding problematic conditions. Are the roads icy? Is it getting dark? The key to driving a car with bad brakes is to avoid these difficult conditions. Similarly, we need to be mindful of what we are doing. Like a car's ABS automatic braking system, we should constantly pause to ask ourselves, am I working on what I was 10 minutes ago or did I get distracted? Is what I'm working on what I should be working on? In short, make sure to pump the brakes periodically in your life to ensure you're headed in the right direction. Treat time like tomato farmers. Part of a tomato farmer's success is built on how many tomatoes he can pick in an hour. The more productive and efficient he is at picking tomatoes, the more tomatoes he can sell. In a study of tomato pickers across 820 fields, Paul Green, a doctoral candidate at Harvard Business School, tested the impact of unexpected interruptions on the farmers. Farmers were periodically interrupted for two reasons. One, the truck broke down and they would need to help repair it. Or two, they had to wait on an empty truck to arrive. Would you be surprised that the two scenarios above had dramatically different results on their productivity following interruption? Do you think these breaks made them more or less productive? It turns out that after fixing the truck and returning to the tomato picking, the farmers became less productive. Green credits this change in productivity with the cost of refocusing. When you have an unexpected work-related task come up, it means you're charging your mental focus to another activity. Changing it back to your regular job isn't easy. This involves a restart cost. When you have to get back into the flow of things, and that takes a little while. The second group did not pay the same kind of restart costs from their unexpected wait for an empty truck. Instead, they became more productive after their break. They didn't know how long the wait would be, so they didn't start additional activities. These breaks lasted an average of 10 minutes, and their average productivity gain was 12.81% right after the break. Green considers these quick breaks as opportunities to recharge without losing focus. Now, the majority of us aren't picking tomatoes. Rather, we are most likely staring at a screen most of the day. So what does this have to do with us? The same researchers performed a similar test on office workers, and their findings were similar. The workers who were randomly interrupted, this time by their computers freezing up, equivalent to the tomato truck not showing up, reported more accuracy in productivity, 15 to 20%, right after the return from the break. As Green indicates, the key to this success was that the office workers and tomato farmers didn't change their focus. They kept their minds on standby. Your mind and body get the benefit of mindless rest. Don't let bad days or losses pile up. Michael Parrish Dudel is the author of the best-selling Shark Tank books. These books give readers insights into the personalities of the entrepreneurs appearing on the award-winning television show. For both books, Dudel was given seemingly impossible timelines to complete the task. In one instance, he was allowed only three months to put the entire book together. I asked him to share the secrets that allowed him to produce great content in such a short amount of time. His response, well, first, when I'm writing, I'm writing. I tried to make that my sole focus as much as possible. 
whether that is bunkering down in a coffee shop or going to a remote place in Florida to get away from it all. The second thing is that when I've had a day when I didn't write or writing was just simply a struggle, I don't let those days get me down. But I also don't let them pile up either. I need to make certain I keep the momentum going. If my plan was to write 2,000 words one day, but I only knocked out 100 words, then the next day it's essential I get back on track. The next day I write 3,901 words, meaning I double it up plus one additional word. This attitude is common to numerous top performers like Dudel. Whatever our goals are, we will have days when we simply miss the mark. The key is that the next day we wrestle back that control. If your goal is to do 10 pull-ups per day, but then your daughter unexpectedly needs to go to the doctor, shrug it off, and the next day try to do two sets of 10 pull-ups. The key is not to let the losses pile up. If you miss a day or two, no big deal. Give yourself a break. However, if you were to go six weeks without working out, it's probably not realistic to do 140 pull-ups in a day or write 28,000 words in a day. That's not how it works. Treat your body and mind like an iPhone. We've touched on the relationship between willpower and ego depletion. Thinking about your mind and body like a smartphone can help us better navigate the day. At night, we always charge our smartphone. We always do this for our bodies by sleeping. When we wake up, we are at full battery. Then we think about every decision facing us. Just the thought of these decisions drains our batteries, both mentally and physically. Although the brain amounts to less than 2% of our body weight, the average person burns about 320 calories a day just by thinking. These numbers mean that roughly 20% of our energy consumption per day is from thinking. Whether it be as mundane as washing the dishes or as complex as learning to speak another language, when we're thinking and acting, the brain is consuming a substantial amount of energy and draining our batteries. Recall the ways to recharge during the day. Taking a quick 20-minute power nap, getting into nature, grabbing some fresh air, meditating, exercising, etc. While these recharging exercises should be performed, equally important is to avoid unnecessarily draining our batteries in the first place. Avoid draining your brain's batteries over little daily decisions such as figuring out what to wear, what to eat for breakfast, where to park, and other such concerns. Put systems in place to make them automatic. Negative thoughts are also strong brain drains, decreasing the capacity to think, reason, and form memories. Thinking positively and avoiding negative thoughts like jealousy, pessimism, stress, and worry are all beneficial ways to prolong your brain's battery life. Keeping goals on our to-do list that we aren't actively working on can still play a role in draining our batteries. Again, we need to think about our brains in the way that we use our phones. When we aren't engaging with or using a particular app, we should close it out. Remember the last time you drove somewhere and then an hour later you grabbed your phone out of your purse and your battery is dead? What happened? You had accidentally left the mapping app open long after you had arrived. You weren't even using it, and it depleted your battery. Our brains are like our phones. We need either to engage with an issue or close the damn thing out. We cannot let important but unaddressed details run in the background draining our batteries. 
mile-high friendship, I settled into my seat for my flight to San Francisco. Our animation studio was working on a piece for Disney, and I was engrossed in my phone, sending some last-minute creative direction. With the plane taking off, I put my phone away and felt someone grab my arm. Across the aisle was one of my best friends. We'd been trying to get together for lunch for several weeks, but both of our hectic travel schedules wouldn't allow for it. We laughed at how long it took us to notice each other on the plane. While we both had plenty of work to do on the plane, we spent two hours chatting on the flight and then shared a ride into the city. It was the highlight of my week. Nothing work-related was more important than this friendship. What a shame it would have been had we never noticed we were sitting by one another. The reading from today's book, my new book, The Focus Project. I hope it's helping you out. Thanks again for tuning in to the Super You Podcast. This is your host, Eric Quam, and a lot of you know me as Equal Man. I'm not a superhero, but there's a superhero in all of us. That's what this whole podcast is about. It's all about unlocking and unleashing the superhero that is in all of us. So I hope it's helping you out. I hope you're enjoying your day, and I hope this is a little light inside of your day. So until next time, remember, attack the day before it attacks you. Have fun and help people. And most importantly, remember, it's not what we take from the world. It is what we leave behind. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you.